Well, let me uh, wish you all uh, a really happy uh, Christmas. It's good that you're here to s- today. We're kind of unsure as to what's happening uh, day by day at the moment, but it's good to uh, be uh, here together. My Christmas present to you this morning was to come here at the crack of dawn and make sure it was warm. And I had a very peaceful start to Christmas Day, but it is lovely and uh, warm. So welcome to you. And it's great to have the sun uh, coming in through uh, the windows. Let me just pause and pray. And uh, I want to say something by way of looking back over the past year, and then we'll turn uh, to part one of Isaiah 9. So let me lead us in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the privilege of being able to gather together, whether here in this building uh, safely or uh, joining on YouTube from our homes in different parts of this country and in different parts of the world. Our Father, this in some ways is a, a different Christmas, a different time, a different period we are living through, and the Word of God seems to be even more applied and relevant and helpful and comforting and encouraging. And we pray that would be true this morning, even for these few minutes, as we reflect on some of the great truths of the Incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, help us and strengthen us and encourage us, for we pray in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. Now, I do want to start a little unusually, but I think appropriately, and spend just a few minutes reflecting on the year gone uh, by. I think the most dominant thing is, the most obvious thing, is that I'm standing here and speaking to some of us who are here and others of us who are not here, who are watching uh, online. This has been going on for a couple of years. It's encouraging to read some stuff in the press that uh, 2022 will see uh, an end to this. But it won't see an end to other stuff. It will be uh, replaced by other challenges. But with another year of lockdown coming to an end, or partial lockdown, or changes here, there, and everywhere, I do want to reiterate what Jay has said and to thank everyone in the church family for serving and loving others over the past year. There has been a veritable army of people serving, doing stuff like cleaning day in, day out. And I want to thank Mary, who was here, who's now not here, and because she's not here, I'm going to thank her. Uh, and Andrew, who is downstairs on the door today. And the two of them, Mary and Andrew, have uh, shouldered 
the responsibility for cleaning this building and the other building over the past uh, year. That is a, a thankless task in a way and a wonderful example of servant-hearted sacrificial uh, leadership. If you were to add up the number of times these chairs have been washed, and if you were to add up the number of toilets in this building that have to be cleaned, it is a huge job. And I think the reason I pick that out is that the challenges we have faced in every sphere of society are real. But many churches have just ground to a halt. And they've not ground to a halt because they don't have ministers or leaders. They grind to a halt because God's people just will not serve and will not do the many, many tasks that need doing. And I think the pandemic has proved the servant-heartedness of the church family. And I want to say a huge uh, thank you uh, to you all. And also for loving uh, one another. I've been encouraged by the reflections of those who are not part of the church family. And it's always good when someone joins a church family or visits a church family, and their reflections are positive. They're not always positive, but I want to thank you for the love and care you have extended to one another. It is genuine, it is real, it is heartfelt, and it is uh, costly. I want to thank you for the unity of the church. When you are fractured into so many different pieces and in so many different contexts, with changing regulations here, there, and everywhere, it would be very easy to disunite, throw into the mix of that, changing from one building to another, doing a building project in the middle of all that's gone on. But I want to encourage us and thank you for investing in the unity of the church family. We do not create unity. We maintain it. It is God-given, and the eagerness to maintain it is something that we are very thankful for. So thank you for serving. Thank you for loving. Thank you for eagerly maintaining unity and stability. But we thank God most of all, without any sense of presumption. It is the Lord's work, and our dependence is ever and only on Jesus, our shepherd, who leads and sustains us through His Word. The constant through the last 24 months has been the Word of God, the praising of the people of God, and Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our lives. And nothing can take out the supernatural, wherever we are, wherever we meet. Adversity strengthens churches. And through COVID, we have grown closer as a church family for which we thank God. 
But I do want to say as well that it has not been easy. And it is not easy, and no doubt in the months ahead it will continue to be difficult. One of the very striking practical thanks we can give to God is for this building. I am glad that your affection for it is a bit less than the one up the road. I'm glad it's quite often cold on a Sunday. But it's a remarkable example of God's providence. As we faced this building project, we had to kind of go ahead and do it. It was kind of out of our hands. It was advanced really way back in March 2020. You might remember back in March 2020, the day of lockdown was the day of a church meeting where we would unveil all the plans for the building, and we couldn't do it. And I remember a group of us sat on the stage in the other building and thought, how long is this going to last, a month or two? And so the plans went on, and the architects did their job, and the surveyors, and so on and so forth, and the money was raised. And I remember saying to the other elders in the church, I just could not see how we could move physically a long way away, one, or how we could move to multiple venues, how we could sustain that again. And in God's remarkable providence, a phone call to the person who has the company that owns this building, oh, he said when I phoned him, we've just made the decision to defer our redevelopment for 12 months. Would you like it? I said, how much? He said, a pound. It's not as simple as that. But what a remarkable provision, a remarkable provision, and how thankful we are to the Lord Jesus. So we thank God at the end of a year, but don't disguise the toughness of uh, what has happened. And in it all, there are lives. People have died, people have got engaged, children have been born. Some people have drifted away, and if you're listening this morning and you've drifted away, drifted away from church, the people of God, because behind the television screen it's so much easier to drift away, come back, come back, come back not to the church, but come back to the Lord Jesus. So thank you. Let's turn to what keeps us and steadies us week in, week out, to the Word of God. Now we're going to look at these verses in two parts very briefly today, because all my instincts are that on Christmas Day no one takes in anything. It's like a wedding. What was, what was he speaking about? Oh, I don't know. God… Just touching on it today, and then tomorrow, Boxing Day, Sunday, we'll just
take our time and work through the glorious truths of this chapter. So, I'm going to read uh, Isaiah chapter 8, verse 11, through to chapter 9, verse 7. Chapter 9, verses 6 and 7 are very well known. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. But the power of these verses is that they are set in the context of stuff that we might think is not well known, but it describes exactly how it is living in this world. And so the verses come with a punch and a power and a relevance and an urgency and a grace. So let me read in from chapter 8, verse 11. You can follow along in uh, your Bibles. Uh, there'll be a page number 573. For the Lord spoke thus to me with His strong hand upon me, and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, to walk in worldly ways. Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, Him you shall honor as holy. Let Him be your fear, and let Him be your dread. And He will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken." Bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord, who is hiding His face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in Him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living, to the teaching and to the testimony? If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry, and when they are hungry they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God, and turn their faces upwards. And they will look to the earth, and behold distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness." Now, you feel the context, thick darkness, thick darkness. And when you when you shine light into darkness, you notice the light. When you shine light into light, you don't notice the light. Let's read on. But there will be no gloom 
for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil for the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and for evermore. Well, wonderful, wonderful words, wonderful, wonderful truths. Now, let me just point out two contrasts in this passage. Firstly, darkness, and then secondly, light in the, the darkness. Now, I'm not trying to be in any way, shape, or form emotive by pointing us to the fact that we live in a dark world. It is pitch black. It is dark. It is frightening. And the events that we are challenged and yet privileged to live through. History tells me that when people live through a crisis in the world, and is this a crisis? Well, it's the nearest most of us have got to live in one. We realize how fragile and how dangerous and how dark the world is. A global pandemic, a virus that outsmarts the best of science, and a headline in one newspaper this week, Armageddon. And there are glimmers of hope at the moment that this may well be the way out of the pandemic. But surely a global pandemic is asking the world and all of us a question. Are we really 
so confident, so sure in our ability to navigate the challenges of living on this planet. The darkness of the world and the darkness of our lives the darkness of death, just a couple of weeks ago, we were all shocked at the sudden death of someone in our church family. Bill got up in the morning, and he was dead by lunchtime. Death is never far away. The darkness of unbelief. The darkness of unbelief is a strange darkness because it is shut out. The devil does his very best with people to persuade them in their unbelief that when they hear the gospel, it is foolishness. Unbelief feels safe. Unbelief feels and the darkness of belief. That seems a strange thing to say, but it is very important that as Christians we face up to the fact that often in our lives as Christians, we experience darkness. Here's a, a hymn I found this week. You may know this hymn, O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And that's the gist of Isaiah 9. The first bit, O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. And the answer, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Now, I've kind of quietened our hearts and sobered us a little bit. And the sun has gone behind a cloud. But the birth of this child, Jesus, Emmanuel, is, is right into the heart of this kind of stuff. The gospel of Jesus Christ is real. It is the answer, the only answer to the perils and the plight of humanity. And a global pandemic is crying out to us. 
to look to Jesus, to look to him who came into this dark world to shine with light. Now, let's just spend a few more minutes walking through the beginning of Isaiah chapter 9. Light in the darkness. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea and the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. And the reference there to the geography in the northern part of Israel was the bit that was sledgehammered by the Assyrians. And if we go to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4, Jesus began His public ministry walking in these very places, preaching the gospel. And out from there, out from the heart of the darkness, Jesus preached His gospel. Light in the darkness, reminiscent of creation. Here's John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him and without Him, and not anything that was made in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light was coming into the world. Jesus said Himself, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows Me will not walk in darkness. Light in a dark world Light in the face of sickness, destruction, war, death. It's almost, as I, as I say these things, I'm thinking, gosh, am I ruining people's Christmas Day? But surely, this is the truth. that we see the light for what it is in the darkness. And this leads to real joy, not superficial joy. And I'm not going to crack any cheap jokes like, an hour after a kid opens a present, it's lost its sparkle. We know that's true. Look at the joy here. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as in the day of Midian. 
for every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Now, what this is saying in Isaiah's prophecy is that light has dawned. Light in the darkness leads to joy. And why is the joy? Because this person, whoever he is, uh, takes our burdens and ends our battles. Now, I don't know what burdens you bear in your life. Many. Sum up the heartaches and the struggles in your home, in your family, in your mind, in your heart, in all the recesses that no one sees. The burdens you bear, the sins, the guilt, the regrets, and the battles that wage on the earth. This person, whoever he is, has come to bear the burdens of humanity and will bring wars to cease, not yet when he returns. These are glorious promises. And then comes the verse that you write on your Christmas card, but only then. For to us, a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. For to us, it's almost an anticlimax, verse 6. A baby is born. Now, I don't think of a baby with sentiment in a manger. Think of God from all eternity made flesh a human being. Fully God, fully human, and therefore the bridge between God and humanity. One mediator, one mediator, Jesus Christ. He is King, He is Almighty God, He rules, and He will reign forever. Now, let me wrap up, and we can go home and enjoy our Christmas lunch. Let me encourage you and impress on you and appeal to you. And I don't want to be alarmist or shocking. I'm just getting older and seeing more into the darkness. I want to encourage you to think if you were to drop down dead, where will you be for all eternity? Where will you be? Is your hope in Jesus Christ? Is your hope in Jesus Christ 
who broke into the darkness with the glorious light of the Incarnation. Or are you trusting in anything else? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. In a manger, on a cross, your Savior. Don't look down. That's what Isaiah says. Don't look down to the earth. Don't look at the earth. Don't place all your hope in what humanity can achieve. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. I said at the beginning that there are people who through lockdown have drifted away from church. Some were back yesterday. Let me encourage you to turn your eyes back upon the Lord Jesus. And to those of us who are Christians, to keep our eyes on Jesus. It's a simple message. Darkness. It's all around us. Light has broken in in Jesus Christ, who was born, who died, who was raised, and who reigns. And the question that has always been asked of humanity, where are you looking? Turn your eyes upon Jesus before it is all too late, and you're dead, and you face eternal judgment. And that's not a harsh statement. It's a, it comes with an urgency and with an appeal from the Lord Jesus. Come to me. Don't let this Christmas go by without making a decision. Or turn your eyes back to Jesus. And never take your eye off him. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That is not escapism, that is realism. Realism. Please look at Jesus. For the first time, and keep on looking. And that's the real, real substance of Christmas time. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, we pray that these serious things would steal upon our hearts, perhaps in fresh ways, as we look out on this dark world and our dark lives, and we see that the light has dawned in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, in His birth, in His death, in His resurrection, in His ascension, His reign, and His return. And there is but one hope for humanity, and that is Jesus Christ, who reconciles us to God through His death, and it was who was raised to give us life. Help us, Lord, to look to Christ and make Him our Savior, and keep looking to Him until we are with Him for all eternity. For Jesus' sake, amen.